Welcome to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Laura Turner. And welcome to another special edition of Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. I'm Laura Turner. Our guest tonight is an expert in having the kind of conversations many of us shy away from. As a GP, she's most likely seen it all and her unflappable approach to talking about sex and health has seen her tackle tough and confronting topics on talkback radio, TV and in print for some 30 years, helping tens of thousands of Australians in the process. She holds a Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery from Monash Medical School and also a Masters of Health and Medical Law from Melbourne Uni. And she's a highly sought-after corporate speaker. She brings her own unique brand of humour to everything she does. And you might know her by her alias of Dr Feelgood. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr Sally Coburn to Great Australian Lives. How are you, Doctor? Extremely well, Laura. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. You've no idea how many people <laughs> think it's got a CK, so I need to pronounce it. And and just to put it in context, <laughs> it's just as well my mother didn't call me Ophelia, but I'll leave that one with you. <laughs> You are going to be entertaining to our listeners tonight, that is for sure, Doctor. Um, Speaking of names, as I mentioned, Euralius, why Dr Feelgood? Well, when I started out in radio in 1990, uh, the medical board wouldn't allow doctors to use their real name on uh, in, in the media. But it wasn't for the reasons that you think. Oh. It was actually because people thought we had an unfair advertising um, advantage. And so you had to sort of think of some alias and people just called themselves uh, whatever by their maiden name. But, hey, Dr Feelgood <laughs> seemed worthwhile. Good ring to it. But I know your mum didn't like it, did she? Or she, she, she was took a while to Oh, around. look, my mother was so happy when I became a doctor and then she she just can't mention the or oh, she's now deceased but she she found the s word yeah. a bit difficult to talk about my dad actually came on mm. on pillow talk and uh, what's that generation isn't it well yes and no her yes dad no we mm. called him dr Sewell, right and we talked we talked about <laughs> visual things and sex so you know dad was always uh, interested in yep. it but no mum just preferred that she didn't really want to talk about that well, fair enough, each to their own. Now, as you mentioned, you had your dad on a lot and if go back to 1990 and a patient asked you to be on a radio show. Was that with uh, 3AW Breakfast? It was. It was with 3AW Breakfast yep. with then uh, Ross and Dean and, um, and there was a whole team yep. of us. And, uh, yes, uh, yep. it was a, a patient who said she was a bit stressed and I said, why are you stressed? And she said, because I've got to put a radio show together. And, and she looked at me and said... <laughs> I haven't got a doctor. And I said, she said, would you do it? And I said, would that make you less stressed? And she said, oh, yeah. So (laughs) that's how I started. The story goes on because I then got approached by another patient. She said, I've put you up for this job as the uh, host of a sex show. And I went, what? I don't know anything about sex. She said, of course you do. You do my pap smears, you know, you you, um, prescribe the pill, da-di-da-di-da. And I said, oh. I suppose I do because, you know, as a doctor, you don't think of yourself as – you just think of yourself as doing a gig. Anyway, so what happened was I, I went in and did it, but I used to take in a basket of textbooks 
into the studio every week just in case someone asked a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it good to hear that behind the scenes, those who, you you know, people hold up as, you know, all-knowing and actually are sort of freaking out themselves? <laughs> well, Laura, I think that was though, the, the big thing about it. I, I always um, cringed whenever they put a little uh, rider under me on television saying sexpert. And I said, no, I'm a GP. I, I'm not a sexpert. The yeah. only sexpert are the two people or whatever in a relationship. And so that's why that show was very different. We tended to concentrate on asking the audience what they thought. I mean, I knew all the stuff about yep. chlamydia and, you know, various and herpes and various, yep. that's another story, yes. various things like that. But, uh, yes. <laughs> yep. But um, we, you know, we respected the audience, I think, was the big difference. Yeah, and that's so important when you have conversations like the ones you were having. Were you... Um, and, and you have mentioned it wasn't really your idea someone put you up to that show, but were you initially hesitant or anxious about the questions you would be asked because they could be deeply personal and intimate questions? Well, even more than that, I, I made it quite clear to Osterio that I, I didn't want to do a show that was sort of snigger, snigger, snigger because, I A, I didn't think it would last, uh, but, B, I'm a medical practitioner and I know the amount of misinformation that's out there and I wanted to see mm. us be able to dispel myths. And so, yes, I, I, while I was worried about the sort of calls that would come through, they were so respectful. I mean, really, mm. um, they were, they'd say things like, oh, um, may I say penis on air? That's like, yes, yes. And, they, and so we'd say to them, look, just use anatomical terms. And, and everyone was fabulous. And uh, it was very, yeah. I don't know, we were a little community. And I, I really felt all those people out there. And now they come up to me in the street still 30 years later. Do they? Uh, yeah. Especially I had someone deliver um, something the other day and uh, he put it in my garage and he turned away from me and put it put it over there. And um, and as he turned away from me, I said, oh, thanks very much. And he said, oh, my God, I've just worked out who you are. And, you know, when he was 12. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this auditory imprint. There'll be maybe people right now going, yes. I know that voice from my, my youth yes. when I was 12. It's funny. Yes. Well, it's. I mean, I, I remember now when I was, you know, early teens, there was no – um, Googling anything. There's no mm. quietly trying to find stuff out. You had to go to the library and borrow a book or you had to read Dolly Doctor or you had to read, you know, Cosmopolitan, uh, ask your friends. But that, that came with nerves in doing so. So mm. you would have been and it still are so important to people's lives. Well, what I say to people is, okay, do you remember Sunday night and your kids used to rush off and they didn't want to watch the the movie, any, the 8.30 movie anymore or they'd rush off at 10 o'clock? And then I'd say to the, the young people or the then young people, do you remember with your Walkman in your ears under the doona so that mum didn't know, but I knew yes. mum and dad were listening in the other room so they'd be one step ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> you must have consulted with, you know, whole families on things over the years mm. about different issues. Mm. Look, some of it's um, really quite shocking. We, we, I did have one uh, young uh, woman or young girl at the time, I think, contacted me about um, sexual abuse. And it's so, I feel so, um, I suppose, uh, unable to do a lot because it was a letter. And, you know, those weren't email days. It was a, a, a letter. And I actually said on air, could the person who wrote me the letter on the pink paper please ring? And she did. And I was able to get her help. And it's stuff like that oh, behind the scenes that we wouldn't put that yeah. to air. But, you know, there was things like that. There was another story of, a, of a, an older guy who uh, rang up and said, 
and basically said he was going to kill himself. And he said, I've got the gun, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I said, oh, look, and, and I sort of flipped into a doctor mode and I had to and uh, started counselling him. And um, he, uh, and it was really interesting because medical students told me later they'd heard it and they said, oh, that was textbook. And I said, well, I just had to. Anyway, in the end, we called for people to ring up and support him. And the amazing number of um, calls that rang up and said, um, you know, I'm I'm twelve. I'm fifteen, and my dad. And basically, his problem was he came out that he was gay, and that's why he wanted. He felt that no one was supporting him. And don't forget, this is 1992ish. And uh, and this girl rang and said, my dad came out, and we love him just as much. And then the next call said, are you good? I might look. Like, don't do the suicide thing, mate. I tried. I failed. Don't do it. Don't do it. And it was just the support that people came out with, yes, and it, it wrapped people. up by him. And it's all genuine. He got, um, had a call on hold. That was about as high tech as things got in those days. And um, mm. and when I came back to him, he said the one person in town who I who I'd thought might support me, but uh, I hadn't heard from, just rang and said, "Come over to my place." <gasps> oh, it, it was. I mean, so wow. so you know, just yeah. to make a little bit of difference in people's lives, mm. and that's what radio is really difference. good at. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. Anyone can listen. Do you think? You know, the advent of the internet is helpful. I mean, everyone's Googling what's wrong with them and diagnosing themselves. Is it helpful? Uh, can be. I, I think what we need to, it's all about health literacy, Laura. I think we need to teach people where to go for information and then how to apply that information to their own um, self. Um, uh, frankly, the government's put together an organisation called Health Direct and they're really trying all that. They're actually running the COVID hotline at the moment. And if you know where to go, the internet is fabulous. I'll sit with my patients sometimes and go and we're, I say, I know you're going to go home and Google, so let's Google now. And uh, and I give them yeah, website. Yeah, well, it, it, we need to have those portals. Yeah. yeah, it's about finding the right places to go and not sort of being in your little Facebook bubble. I remember when I was pregnant and every doctor saying, do not Google, and I'd be like, yeah, no worries, and then go home and like, Google, 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 every <laughs> single little thing, and you get sucked into this rabbit hole of everything. What does this mean? What does that mean? But I'm glad you said you were Googling with your patients to at well, least guide it's, them. Well, it's worse than that. We've got people who can put up what look like very um, substantial websites. They're all pretty and fabulous, mm. but what they've got on their website can be not only just wrong – but dangerous. And I mean, we see this, yep. frankly, with the anti-vaxxers. I mean, the anti-vaxxers are a very small group of people um, and they can have their own Loud. view, but frankly, keep out of my face. Yeah, they're, they're a loud bunch, that's for sure. Mm. I know that you're very much about breaking down stigma in certain areas. Um, <clears throat> do you think we've come a long way in terms of our um, the way we're able to talk about sex and that sort of thing? Do you think we're doing better now in terms of talking publicly? Well, it's interesting you should say that because, you know, why sex? Uh, why is it that sex was the thing? And it, it was only I, I went and did the sex show because that was an area that needed to be, the stigma needed to be broken down. And in fact, we've moved on. There's other things that the stigma needs to be broken down in. And we can still see this even today when, um, uh, you know, mental health um, and there's uh, dying with dignity, end of life care, and they're my current interests and uh, and bullying in medical training. So, in other words, I think we're much better at sex. <laughs> much better at sex. I think. 
Oh, we might. Well, yeah, I'm no. sure. I'm sure. I hope they are. Um, I think some people would agree that with the advent of the internet, that we might be. Well, yes and no. <laughs> Unfortunately, what we've got is some young people basically going onto the web and accessing some unhealthy porn. When I say unhealthy porn, I mean non-consensual and or mm, just and that the first the first thing you do in sex, aggression. boys and girls, is this. And it's like, yeah, no, talk to your partner. Don't assume the internet knows what it's doing. I shouldn't laugh because it has created, the internet has created another issue in terms of sexual abuse and all mm. that sort of thing, hasn't oh. it? Uh, there's a whole other world of... Uh, information being accessed that once upon a time wasn't there. And that's the stigma area that we are really cracking at the moment and that is allowing, well, we say allowing, they're always allowed, but telling people it's okay to speak up. We will protect you from the perpetrators. And uh, and just recently there was a case, um, uh, I actually interviewed uh, the lawyer, and uh, there was a case uh, of a young person, not a young person anymore, uh, they were abused by someone, um, a priest, and um, they managed to get an enormous payout. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there that you have to take the government's um, agreed payout, but you can get much more if you sue. And I think uh, I think the mm. Catholic Church has got to, and they're not the only ones, uh, need to really think of these institutions need to think about being fair. Do you think as a GP that... People are com- more comfortable now in, in coming to you and talking to you about issues like sexual abuse or anything, you know, sexual disease. Do you think we're better at doing that now? Well, I can only speak for me, yes. Um, I mean, my patients yeah. do feel comfortable, male and female, because they know I'm open about it. So I think it's up to doctors to broach the subject, to say, hey, you can talk to me about that stuff. Um, and most of my colleagues do and they're, they're comfortable with it but um, people are worried about they're going to be judged and look men are still in uncomfortable talking about erectile dysfunction but they're getting better and it's it's a relationship issue uh, and I think the other one is infertility male infertility we're getting better at it but people have got to realize you can broach the subject with your GP but it's up to the GP to make sure you you feel open about it do you think that's a particularly Australian issue because of that old cliche of the the rough Aussie man, you know, the strong? Or oh, you think it's worldwide? Sort of. I think it's global. I, I don't think that. Um, yeah. I don't think that's just us. Um, and, and as I say, I'm yeah. really proud of people being willing to talk about those things because there is help at hand. And again, don't go onto those internet sites and pay exorbitant amount of monies for who knows what you're getting. Talk to your GP and you can always ask for a referral to an expert. Yeah. What what advice would you give to someone, you know, who might be listening and, and, and has an appointment with their GP but feels a little bit hesitant or yep. scared to, to bring it up? Well, first of all, book a double appointment. Second of all, don't go through all the other things like your sore toe and your, and your sore knee and then in the last five minutes say, oh, by the way, I've got this really complex problem I want to bring up. You could almost write a post-it. rash all over me. Well, that's right. You could almost wrote, write a post-it note and say, I've got a really embarrassing thing I want to bring up and just slam it on the desk and the doctor will then say, go right ahead. You know, it's it's about whatever makes yeah. you feel comfortable. But um, yeah. uh, I... Um, but bring it up early in the conversation because otherwise yeah. the doctor will say, let's make another appointment and you go, but, 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 but. Yeah. yeah. I reckon that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but GPs would have would appreciate when you come in with something a bit different because you've seen it. that many coughs and colds. You'd love, you'd love something else. And the issue of bringing it up early in the consultation, why do you think we run so late? Because you can't 
truncate a really important complex issue um, at the end of the consultation. And just as they get up and walk out, oh, by the way, no, don't do that. Bring it up early. <laughs> this is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And in these challenging times, Tobin Brothers offer a range of very practical solutions to help you plan a funeral and pay tribute to your loved one. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au and more with Dr Sally Coburn in just a moment. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. I'm Laura Turner. Our guest tonight is Dr Sally Coburn, a.k.a. Dr Feelgood, and many of our listeners would remember her. She's a big personality in Australian media. Sally, we were talking uh, earlier on. Our sponsor, Tobin Brothers, uh, they've been with us for a long time, but but you know them as well, don't you? I do, and I, I actually um, love the fact that they say celebrating lives. About 10 years ago, may have been more... You know me, I decided that I was going to talk about something controversial on the wireless and I said, right, we're going to talk about death. And uh, it was like, you can't talk about death on the radio. Man, people might be listening, they might get upset. I said, no, I think they want to talk about it. And we did this show on funerals. And I, I think I had someone from the peak body from the Funeral Directors uh, Association on and I, I actually spoke at one of their events. And, of course, Tobin Brothers were there and they're fabulous. But this person I remember ringing up and shouting, oh, day, it's, you know, Pearl here. And, look, I've already decided, I've written out what my funeral is going to be. I'm going to have powder blue coffin and I'm going to have cornflowers and I'm going to... And, and this woman was so upbeat about deciding what her, her funeral... She And she said, Good on because it. I'm not going to let them loose on the decor. And she was just magnificent. <laughs> and, and so it That's sort good. of was the, was the start of being able... And all of a sudden, um, the radio station realised, oh, they could be sponsors. You know, it's sort of like, wow. Yeah, it's another thing, isn't it, in terms of not so much stigma, but... I guess a little bit of shame, but comfortability in talking about yeah. these issues. And that's yeah. something you've been so good at breaking down, that sort of thing. Well, I like to add a little bit of humour wherever possible, respectful humour. And I think it's very important. Laughing is so close to crying if we can sort of make that happen. And I also, I, t- I coined this term edutainment. I figured, you know, I'm not going to go on there and have callers ring up with their sore knees and their, and their bung eye because that's their problem and we need to have things that people relate to generally. So I was much more interested in having topics and that was lots of fun. And, of course, death is a part of life. And, of course, now these days in in Victoria at least we've got and and some other states, Western Australia and it's coming, is the voluntary assisted dying laws. And this gives people choice. It's not about coercing anyone. It's not about pointing them in that direction. But we've got to have open conversations about what do you think? What are your feelings? And just on that, Doctor, you would have callers call in about all manner of things. Was that a bit of a roller coaster for you, just not knowing what was next? Look, I was prepared and I think after many years it, it became easier for me to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you next week and I'll get an expert in. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was being confident not to answer a question I didn't know the answer to. And I think one of my patients once said, I know, Sally, you know why I like you as my doctor? And I said, no, why? And they said, because you tell me when you don't know something. And I said, thank you, I think. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's very helpful. Yeah, well, you're honest. I mean, you don't want a dishonest doctor. Well, the last thing I think we, well, we need to be very careful on radio, especially because radio is a very intimate medium. People are listening and people are trusting. And if we don't know the answer to something, we shouldn't be saying it. And I, while I agree that, you know, on Talkback Radio, we often uh, 
say our opinions. We need to make sure we make it clear that that's our opinion and not an expert's yeah, opinion. I worry sometimes about yeah. how much influence we have. There's been some wonderful um, callers. There was a woman that we followed over months who was trying to get out of a, a violent relationship and her partner said he'd find her no matter where she went. And it was sort of, oh, happy day when she rang and said, uh, I've actually managed to get out. Some friends have helped me. Um, but humorous ones that no one actually really believed it was true and bear with me for this one. Um, we got a call and it was from the top end and uh, this gentleman rang in and said, help doctor, I was getting dressed to go out with my girlfriend and I was doing up my fly and ow! And I said, look, why are you ringing a radio station? He said, well, I don't know who else to ring. And I said, look, probably an ambulance would be a good idea. But he said, well, what can I do it's meanwhile? Like film. I know. And I said, have you got any um, pliers or any, any metal clippers that you can clip the bottom of the zipper and pull it off? He said, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, have you got anything? He said, oh, I've got, I the, I've got the mini bar. I've got the, well, I believe so. I've got the mini bar. And I said, can you reach it? He said, yeah. And I said, Grab, what's in it? And he said, a tinny. I said, grab the tinny and put it on on top so the swelling goes down. And and It's a good and, idea, yeah. And he said, my girlfriend's just arrived. And I said, excellent. Now, I think a lot of people said, oh, come on, that was staged. Well, it wasn't because I knew where he was calling from and he rang back later and yeah. said, thank you very much. I ended up, right. you know, all fine. But, you know, that was the whole thing. People <laughs> thought we staged the questions. I swear to you, we didn't. Uh, I mean, I think people yeah. have told me later, oh, you know, we were at a dinner party, we'd had a few, and we thought, let's ring up Dr Feelgood and stump her. Do you think I didn't yeah. know they were yeah. they were fake calls? I knew when, yeah. I knew when they you were You can always on. tell. Mm. Yeah. You're a lifelong Melbourne girl. What are your first memories of childhood? What was a young Dr Feelgood doing in those days? Um, look, I, I think one of the earliest memories I've got is um, my brothers. We lived opposite a park and my brothers used to dig underground huts and then they would um, abandon them. And me and my little girl mates used to go and have tea parties down there. And only now we think back, we may never have been found, you know. I was going to say, underground uh, huts. They were underground huts. Like no one was above ground no, while you were in them. They were all pretty scary. But um, early memories really also <laughs> of the Yacht Club. My parents met at the Sandringham Yacht Club and my great-grandfather was the founder. Oh, it's a real family girl. thing. Mind you, none of us yeah. sail. For my 12th birthday, you know, some people get a bicycle. I got a boat. And I wish I'd been a bit older and the hormones had kicked in because I used to sail down at the Sandy Yacht Club in the cadets with all the boys and there was only me and one other girl. It would have been uh, heaven if I'd sort of uh, had the hormones, yeah, but I didn't. a bit older. Mm. So it sounds like an idyllic childhood oh, on Bayside there. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, beautiful. It, and nice mum, mum and Dad, you mentioned you mentioned earlier, have since passed on, yes. but did they have a, a pretty idyllic relationship? I never, ever heard a crossword between them. I, I, they were just, you know, perfect. Dad, Dad um, I think mum was the sort of typical 1950s, 60s wife. She'd have the meal on the table at six o'clock. You know, she'd be spruced up and looking gorgeous. Dad went off and did his own thing with yeah. the teaching at the university and became mayor of Sandringham. Yeah. And, but mum always had the big smile yeah. on her face, ready to put on a dinner party for 15 at 36 minutes notice. No, it was, uh, they were great. Wow. I applaud myself when I manage to cook once or twice a week. <laughs> yes, yeah, so haven't things changed? Mm, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Now you you mentioned your dad. He was an optometrist, yeah. and as you mentioned before, you called him Doctor Seagood when he was when he was on with you. Yep. And he joined you on the radio show. Um, what was your relationship like with Dad? He obviously uh, led you in a very good direction. Dad was my idol, you know. He he just, he was wonderful. He had such an even emotional 
thing. He, you never saw him lose it. You never saw him. And he's always had a sense of humour, but he was very encouraging of me. But funnily enough, I think I encouraged him more than he encouraged me in that when I did the medical course, he was looking over my shoulder and he was thinking, I could introduce some of this in optometry. So he was lifelong learning was what he instilled in me and also giving back to the community. But I have to tell you about the story of, of when I sat in the back of the Green Valiant in 1975. Um, Dad uh, and my Mum went in the front. Now, Sally, you're in year 11. You're going into year 12. What do you want to do for a living? And I said, oh, look, I think I'll go to NIDA and become an actress. And Dad nearly drove off the road. And Mum was a nurse previously. And Dad said, but, you know, cool as a cucumber, said, well, look, I think that's a very noble um, aspiration, Sally, but how are you going to feed your family? Only one in a million make it in that sphere. And I said, yeah, that's true. Okay, I'll do medicine. And you might think that's a really weird jump. Oh, but, but medicine is is – all about stories. It's all about solving solving problems like a great big game of Cluedo. And you get to have the privilege of working with families. I'm on to some of my third generation families now. And, uh, and anyway, to finish that story, when I was 35, my dad rang me. At that point, I had a, a Saturday night uh, live program on Channel 7. I had um, the radio program, I think, three or four nights a week. And I was writing for a couple of magazines at, at that point. And dad rang me and he said, happy birthday. You did it anyway. Oh, he also said, don't tell anyone how old you are. It doesn't reflect well on me. And, uh, and, then, he said, <laughs> and then he said, you did it anyway. And I said, did what? And he said, you ended up in media. Yeah. And I said, oh, I didn't think yeah. of it. It just sort of happened. I was going to say, I yeah, you've done um, both. But what I found out a lot later with him was that back in the early 60s, he was approached by the ABC TV to do a, because he was a yachtsman, as I said, he was approached to do this television program where he'd go around Australia and just report back on yacht clubs. I mean, you know, for someone like him, it was absolutely wonderful. And he turned Sounds it like down. A dream. I know. <laughs> and it would have been one oh. of the first of those shows. He would have been David Attenborough by now. And um, yeah. he turned it down because he felt he'd started his clinical practice and he had three young kids at school. And I sort of, I don't mm. think he was vicariously living through me, but I, I think he, he sort of thought, yeah. yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah, fair enough too. Now, um, after medical school, you um, spent six years working in public hospitals. You must have uh, had a great time cutting your teeth in there and you would have seen all sorts of things in the public system. Oh, look, I, I have all respect for people who work in the public system and uh, and I really enjoyed my time uh, in there. And uh, uh, yes, it was around about the time of HIV starting. So we had a lot of misunderstandings. No one knew what was going on and it was, it was fascinating. No one knew how it was transmitted at that point. So that was really interesting. Um, and look, just the whole the whole public sector, I, I just loved it. It was fast paced and uh, I love working in the emergency department, which I did at most hospitals. Mm. It's was great. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives and in these challenging times Tobin Brothers offer a range of very practical solutions to help you plan a funeral and pay tribute to your loved one. For more information visit tobinbrothers.com.au and in a moment we'll discuss a near-death experience for Sally and the hero that saved her. More with Dr Sally Coburn in just a moment. Celebrity doctor Sally Coburn says her dog saved her life after suffering a medical emergency while home alone. Emily Anquin has the story. 
As a physician, Sally Coburn is normally the one doing the treating, but on this occasion, the doctor became the patient and she spent four nights here at the Alfred Hospital. She was home alone on Sunday morning when she suddenly felt like she was suffocating. Sally collapsed on the floor of her Melbourne property and was only woken by her dog Molly when she began licking her face. Pets, they know when something's wrong. That prompted Sally to call triple zero and she was rushed to hospital. I really couldn't tell you how, where I'd be if she hadn't done that. It turns out a clot had travelled from a vein and blocked the main arteries to her lung. It's a condition that can be fatal. The doctors actually told my family how close to death I was, but they didn't tell me. And um, so, you know, they're all standing around looking like this. Sally, who's also known as Dr Feelgood, has had an extensive career in television, radio and private practice. But since this health scare, she's decided to take some time off to recover. God, I don't want to die now because I've just renovated my house. I want to enjoy it. While in hospital, Sally kept an eye on her beloved Molly through cameras set up in her house. The dog waited in the same spot where Sally collapsed until she returned home this morning. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. I'm Laura Turner and that was a Channel 7 News report about our guest tonight, Dr Sally Coburn and her brush with death. Mm. Now, Doctor, you're with me now. You showed me off air a photo of the hero of the moment and that's Molly. Absolutely. In fact, what's interesting about listening to that uh, audio is I can hear in my voice that I was still very short of breath. Um, Molly yeah. was phenomenal. I mean, look, I think she probably just realised that I was the giver of the food and if I went anywhere, she wouldn't get any more. But it was phenomenal. <laughs> Maybe had food on your face. <laughs> but, Laura, I have to tell you, as a, as a doctor of, of then, you know, sort of nearly 40 years, I hadn't picked this. I thought, mm. oh, you're a bit short of breath. You know, get get your act together. Um, and lying on the yep. floor, what was I thinking? And I would, I swear to you, I would not have called an ambulance had Molly not um, seemed agitated. And uh, right. it was, it was. I think back on that, and I and I, they told me I had fifteen minutes to live. So you know, yeah. it was, and all all praise to the Alfred. I mean, goodness me, yeah. they were uh, yes. were incredible. And in fact, they said to they me, a... "Why are you so calm?" And I said. Well, you know, I, I don't want to waste my breath on on not being calm. But but I realise that, and I've had a lot of other people who've had these massive pulmonary emboli tell me, it's not like you can't get the air in. It just isn't translating into oxygen in your bloodstream. So it's, it's actually your right. brain losing oxygen. The word is that as your brain sort of dies, it releases all the happy hormones. So, you know, I was lying there going, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, it was uh, a fascinating experience and um, they were more worried than I was. Would you say, would you say in recovery <laughs> were you a good patient, nah, a doctor? Is nah, the doctor a good patient? No, nah, nah. Terrible. They, they kicked me out of ICU. I was telling too many jokes. They said that is the time oh. you go from ICU when you tell jokes. I went, get her out. Get her out. Get her out in the ward. Um, <laughs> no, no, I tried to. Look, I know with the public system, be a good patient, do what they say, follow yes, the rules. No, I, I I, tried very hard to, you know, I, you don't sit there and pull rank because yeah. you just don't. Why would you? So, uh, no, yeah. look, it was yeah. I couldn't fault fault the system. And, in fact, that was how it, I ended up on the news because I rang um, a friend of mine in media and I said, look, I'm, I'm having a great time. The Alfred is looking after me. I just thought I'd let you know. And, uh, and he said, could I have permission to let the Herald Sun know? And the next thing I was um, being called by Grant MacArthur and he was the one who thought, when I told him the story of Molly, he said, that's the story. 
So, there Laura, wait for the this. Hero uh, hound. At the age of 60-something, I became a page three girl. You, Stop it. Yes. Uh, they were didn't you, make me you wear... Were your gown, well, hospital gown still? Well, no, I was actually wearing a T-shirt. They didn't make me wear bikinis because that would have been a big mistake. <laughs> No, no, not would have at been all. front page. I know. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, and and then I had all three television networks around at my house on the day I was discharged. I'm going. This is normal for me. <laughs> you're good talent, as we say. You, you can talk, and you've got humour, and um, your experience. So. Yeah. And you're much loved. You must have had a lot of patients contact you in, in, oh, uh, in that time. I, I cannot tell you the number of patients who texted me to say, if there's anything I can do for you, Sally, just let me know. They were so gorgeous. Um, you know, it's a real, mm. it's a team with my patients. Speaking of patients and uh, and your ability to communicate, I mean, this is not a slight on doctors at all, but some of them can't communicate like you can, can't talk with the humour or even just, um, you know, I guess engage as well as you can and certainly many of them can't write a prescription because I still can't read them. But it's obviously very important to have that strong relationship with a patient, isn't it? Look, I think it's very important for patients to have a strong relationship with their doctor and not just go willy-nilly all over the joint because it's being able to put the whole thing together. But from the point of view of communications, I was fortunate enough to go through um, Monash Medical Monash Medical School back in the 70s, and I was actually just talking to someone about this the other day who was there with me, that we had the very first community medicine department and the very first um, teaching of communication skills. It's taught. It's recognised that not everyone has a natural gift of the gab and we teach students how to communicate. You know, you know is it okay to touch the elbow? Is it okay to, to ask questions? When do you say it? What do you call a patient? Very, very important that it is teachable. Is it okay to touch the elbow? Pre-COVID, um, yeah. what uh, I found, if you put your hand on the patient's hand is a little bit too familiar and confronting. Yeah. Putting yeah. Just cupping yeah. your hand on their elbow... I know this sounds really weird, but it's sort of not invasive and sometimes that's enough and you can test it out. Um, You've got to be really careful and especially you don't know whether the person's got some sort of abuse background where they don't want to be touched. And Mm. I've got patients like that and and you've got to be very careful that you respect their boundaries. I can well imagine. Now, you mentioned before that your dad taught you to give back to the community. Mm. You give back in all manner of ways. You're on a number of boards uh, like the Variety Club and uh, the Metro Ambulance Service among uh, many others. How do you fit it all in? It's all smoke and mirrors. It's not as busy. It's sort of, it's like serial monogamy. It's serial board monogamy. Um, I try to keep a track of it, but sometimes it just gets overwhelming. And once I had that pulmonary ambulance, I realised I had to pull back. I'm still very keen to do things. I'm helping, I'm mentoring a few people, but I have to recognise, and I tell this to anyone, I have to recognise when it's getting too much for me and sometimes it, yeah. it's I don't recognise it and so I have to really take stock and the person who does that for me is my daughter. My daughter is fabulous. Yeah. She looks after me and she says, Mum. tell your mum it's getting too much, yeah. pull back. Do you think you should be doing that, Mum? She does, she does it really well because she doesn't tell me to. She says, what do you think, Mum? Do you think you should say yes to that or no to that? <laughs> and uh, no, she's, she's absolutely <laughs> wonderful and uh, my greatest achievement really my daughter. Oh, how beautiful. This is Great Australian Lives for a Tobin Brothers funeral celebrating lives and Tobin Brothers offer a range of very practical solutions to help you plan a funeral and pay tribute to your loved one. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll wrap things up with Dr Sally Coburn in just a moment. 
You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Our guest tonight is Dr. Feelgood, a.k.a. Dr. Sally Coburn, a GP, among many other things, one of Australia's leading health communicators who's been discussing sex and health on radio and TV for 30 years. Doctor, we've talked about the uh, impact that your dad had on your career and, and, and those familiar with your career would be familiar with your dad too. But he was very passionate about raising awareness about the potential health effects for Melburnians from high levels of contamination in various former industrial sites, one of them being lead. The trouble is that it's lead is ubiquitous. It used to be everywhere because it was in petrol. But the bottom line is I grew up opposite a lead smelter. It was a, a recycler, nice word for a smelter. And there was a school and a park and a whole lot of houses. How did that ever get into the suburbs? And uh, so Dad was fighting that for many, many years. And when he got into his late 80s, I thought, I need to pick this up as well. And basically what I said to him was, he was starting to lose interest in in sort of life and as as can sometimes happen. I said, is there anything in your kit bag, Dad, that might um, interest you to continue with? And he said, I suppose there's that lead thing. And I went, right, let's do it. And a few weeks later, when we got the EPA involved and the, everyone, Dad said, gee, I hope I don't die before we fix this. And so it achieved that. It was good. But yeah, we've still got a long way to go. And there's a lead smelter being mooted for um, Hazelwood uh, in Victoria. And we need to make sure, uh, my view is, do not put that lead smelter anywhere near any towns. And what is next for you, Dr Sally Coburn? Where where can we see you next? Well, I'm doing work actually behind the scenes a lot. I'm doing some webinars for uh, many groups and I'm doing them for the College of General Practitioners for GPs. And I've been doing all sorts of the same sort of stuff I usually do in the public domain, corporate speaking, but on Zoom. And uh, I just think it's yep. it's huge. But look, don't think I'm gone from radio. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be back. You're uh, well, you're a great speaker, and people love listening to you. Now, Dr. Sally Coburn, I know you do a lot of work in terms of breaking down stigma with many things. One of the prominent campaigns you've done has been uh, around herpes. And are we still in the position in Australian society where we're scared to talk about that? Has it still got that stigma? Well, yes, it has. And I think it's very important that people realise it's just a virus and it doesn't stigmatise. We do. Stigma is completely a construct of us. And it's only there because we Mm. made it. Now, herpes, uh, if you get it on your lip, for example, you had a cold sore, you wouldn't not go out with someone if they said, oh yeah, I get cold sores. Well, what's the difference? If it's genital, it's just the same as a cold sore, but it's genital. And in fact, some of them are caused mm. by by um, mm. uh, cold sores. Look, and I think the trouble is if people don't tell their partner, they run the risk of the partner getting it and that's got shocking fallout. And most people, when they yes. know how to manage it, and there are medications that you can take to keep it under control, it's all about knowledge, Laura. And I think this is this is knowledge breaks down stigma. Let me put it that way. A hundred percent, absolutely does. And it's, I'm an avid reader of uh, different things on Facebook and those sorts of things, these commentary about dating sites and the troubles people have on them. Um, and I was reading the other day about all these posts about herpes and whether, you know, if someone told you, would you cut them off? Would you not go out with them? And that many people have been, as the term is now, ghosted, person just disappears out of their life because they found out they have herpes. So mm. there is an audience out there that, that just 
doesn't want a bar of it still. Look, that, that's that's true. Um, I think people sort of say, well, I'll just avoid it. It's easier to avoid it. But, you know, if the, yeah. for the person who's actually got the herpes, they didn't do anything bad. Um, and it is manageable. Mm. As I say, anyone who's who's got frequent attacks of herpes, I would say talk to your doctor about the suppression medication. Because once you're on the suppression medication, it's, um, it's much less likely that you'll pass it on. And obviously sticking to the rules, which are you don't have sex when you've got an outbreak, it's manageable. And I just wish everyone yeah, had realised that. But you know what? If someone does the ghosting thing after they find that out, you probably don't want to be in a relationship with them anyway. Yeah, you don't. If they're the that bullet, shallow, right. yeah, yeah, absolutely. How can people contact you now if they do want to still talk to you? On my website, drfeelgood.com.au. But I tell you where you can really get me, Twitter, at... Uh, uh, you love Twitter. I love Twitter. At DR Sally Coburn with a CK. And um, I, I really enjoy Twitter because I like dispelling myths. I like, um, I retweet stuff yep. that's good. I, I comment on stuff that's bad. And it's, again, it's a community. And so when you're using Twitter, yeah. ignore the trolls. I sometimes look at these trolls and what they say and I say, I'd like to meet you in the street because I don't believe you'd say it to my face. In fact, once I did I had a had a person who rang the radio station um, off air and made some nasty comments about me and I rang them and I said, oh, hello, is that so-and-so? And they said yes. And I said, look, I just thought you'd probably like to say it to my face. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry, bye. Love I went, it. See ya. <laughs> Good on you. I love it. That is yeah, – I don't recommend it though. Don't do it. Don't down. do it. Don't provoke. Don't provoke. <laughs> <laughs> Is there are there other issues at the moment that you think in terms of stigma that we we need to tackle as a society in terms of our health? Well, still bullying, uh, workplace bullying, and uh, and bad treatment in workplaces. But I think we are, I don't think it's only about making the person speak up because sometimes that's difficult. We need to teach people what bullying is because I don't know that everyone means to do it. And one of the Absolutely. things I also yeah. think is our young male children. We need to teach them how to deal with frustration because, you know, growing up yep. and trying to take out your frustration on your partner or on your mates or whatever, that's where we need to work. So, And, and we need to just teach respect. You, you know, okay, people deserve mm. – you only deserve respect um, if you give it out. But, um, yeah, bullying, it worries me. It worries me yeah. a lot. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you tonight. Thank you, Dr. Sally Coburn. It has been uh, a lot of fun. And thank you, Laura, for what you're doing. It's great. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And in these challenging times, Tobin Brothers offer a range of very practical solutions to help you plan a funeral. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. And, of course, join us the same time next week when we celebrate another Great Australian Life. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives.